the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Today, this last Sunday uh, of Trinity season, is also a Sunday that is called Scripture Sunday. We always have this beautiful collect uh, written by Cranner, which it begins, Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. And we always tend to have the same readings about how God takes all of scripture and condenses it into these two commandments that we repeat every Sunday, the commandment to love God and to love neighbor. But what you can expect in this place anyway uh, is a few words about words. Uh, The word is about words, and we'll have a few words about the word. And that invites me to look up what words are. What, What is it that allows us to communicate in some way using signs, using symbols, using verbal language? In paragraph 0.1.3 of his theory of semiotics, the Italian academic and author, he wrote The Name of the Rose, Umberto Eco, writes, and I quote, semiotics, which is the science of signs, of human communication, is concerned with everything that can be taken as a sign. A sign is everything which can be taken as significantly substituting for something else. The short definition of all this is a sign is something that tells us something about something. And I've never heard a better definition. Something that tells us something about something. Think of, write it down if you write anything down. Something that tells us something about something. Something else, that is, which is absent, by the way. The something else does not necessarily have to exist, even, or to actually be somewhere at the moment in which the sign stands in for it. Thus, semiotics is, in principle, the discipline studying everything which can be used in order to lie. If something cannot be used to tell a lie, conversely, it cannot be used to tell the truth. It cannot, in fact, be used to tell at all. Well, today we are also honoring the Reformation, 500 years ago, more or less, to be precise. And a veritable river of words separates us from this day, October 31st, 1517, All Saints' Eve, when Dr. Martin Luther posted his not-so-modest proposals on the door of All Saints' Church in Wittenberg. And the rest is history. There will be many more words to be written. Yet, the Reformation started with words. Words about the word of God and who has the authority and the freedom to read these words and therefore to respond to the God who has made himself incarnate with words and in words. Thank God. Our Hebrew teacher, Bruce Waltke, used to tell us that in his great mercy, He chose to accommodate his revelation of himself to the most corrupt culture in the ancient Near East, the Canaanites, whose written language, which gave the Hebrews their written language, consisted of 22 phonetic characters. 
instead of, say, the Egyptians or any of their other neighbors with their thousands of hieroglyphic symbols. Well, generations of seminary students have much to be thankful for there. Hebrew is difficult enough. God did the same thing again when he determined that the coming of his new covenant should coincide with the Pax Romana and the empire whose infrastructure and whose lingua franca, Greek, not Latin, should comprehend the whole of the known world. God made it to be that the system was in place, humanly constructed, by which his revelation could be transmitted before that revelation was actually given. And, of course, he did it again in the Reformation when the printing press had been built and put to good use. Now, that being said, despite God's evident desire that his word should go forth and be shed abroad among the nations, the church has a way of finding it more convenient to keep it under wraps. It was not so much the shelf life of its primary product, which is the forgiveness of sins, something for which demand is always high, at least at some point in your life, usually when your life is about to end, but the fact that that for which it was charging a high price was meant to be given away for free, a kind of loss leader. Bad for business, said the CEOs in the Eternal City, and any whistleblowers who sought to make noise about the stocks of grace accumulating in the warehouse were swiftly silenced. Well, one of those whistleblowers was Luther and those who followed his lead. One of those being Archbishop of Cramner, and let us listen again to that collect that he actually composed himself. Blessed Lord, who caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Help us so to hear them, to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that through patience and the comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and forever hold fast the hope of everlasting life. Everything we need is to be found in this word. And though there will be some wrestling with the word, there is also great patience as we go about the business. There's no need, then, for masses for the dead and a mediatorial priesthood to get souls from purgatory here. Just grace, free, not cheap, and lots of it, in fact, in unlimited supply. To hear and read these texts, all you needed was the texts themselves, and assuming you knew how to read them, you. And this know-how was now being given even to women and children as the work began and continued of translating those texts out of Greek and Hebrew and into the languages of the communities who were gathered to open them, read them, and begin the process of inwardly digesting them. The dream that the plowboy and the shepherdess could indeed call out the local priest on his lack of learning, this was Tyndall's dream, was coming true. And if people discovered soon enough that if the texts could not lie, that was the church's job, they could certainly perplex. There was still no turning back. Everyone now was his or her own hermeneut, and on everyone's shoulders was laid the burden of having come to terms with all the seeming contradictions and intricacies of these biblical texts. The church had thought, thought, sought simply to protect people 
from so many of the things in the Bible itself which can undermine our faith if they're not diligently worked through. That game was now over. Every man and woman and child now had the freedom to enter into the conversation and go as far with it as they were led. And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. After all this paper, we're saying, and all these printing presses and all these translators working around the clock and around the globe to give us the word of God in a language we can understand, after all this paper and parchment and vellum and papyrus, this is all there is. You say love in the imperative, and the whole thing boils down to this. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Yes, says Jesus. The word and the word is saying with uncommon force, love. If you love, everything else expands from here. Everything else is collapsed into the act of love and loving. And the force with which this word love, with which this commandment speaks to us, is one which means, really, you are free to choose. No arm twisting, no schmoozing, no speaking softly, no big stick, no politics, which means no politicians, which means no lies. You are to find this love in your heart and respond to the God who put it there and come to his word and see how that love is to live itself out in you and in the world. So... Semiotics is not, in fact, the only discipline studying everything which can be used in order to lie. And we are surely all weary of being prodded and pulled and pushed around by people with agendas, hidden ones at that, and by people who seem never to be able to say, I'm sorry. What's Paul's approach? For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Paul is saying we're not doing this with power. We're not using power in any way, even that we could. We're not here to shame you, to make you feel inadequate, to use our greater knowledge and our greater authority to force this word on you. Our number one job is to make you feel free, to make you feel loved. No carrot, no stick, no slick presentations, no steam table suppers, no sales pitches of any kind. Just, and here's Paul, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. This is about vulnerability. This is about availability, about following the old maxim that For you to care what I know, you first have to know that I care. 
What Jesus does, Paul says, and what Jesus says, Paul does. And it's all about love. Condescension is the old word. Not just descending to earth from the comforts of heaven for a fact-finding mission, but entombing himself within a body, then embodied in a tomb, limiting himself, making himself vulnerable, entering into all the fraught riskiness that the whole human project is, that God's whole project of making something other than himself so it could be itself and come back to him, return, turn back to him and into him or not. It's all about God's gift of freedom to his creation, to turn back to him in love or not. So does a God sovereign in power and glory come to rescue a creation he loves, made in love and made to love, when that creation gets off course? He does. God might have continued to sit in serene and solitary majesty as when he set the planets in their courses and the stars in the sky. But when the whole thing comes unstuck, he sets about the business of redeeming it, and now God really rolls up his sleeves and gets to work. Redeeming it, a work not just of compassion but of passion, pouring himself into the task as if matter mattered and letting the sins of the world be poured into him. I don't think we get, as long as we're this side of glory, no matter how hard we work on it, the extent to which God loves us. And this love is seen in the work of our redemption. And God comes not in power and not in glory, not in strength, not in wisdom, but in weakness in the ignominy and foolishness of the cross. He comes for the exquisitely costly work of redemption, of pulling us, his people, out of the fire, hellfire to be exact, for we, his people, like to make this world, his world, a living hell because we love to play with fire. God in Christ the Redeemer comes into the midst of all of this, to wing back what he can and who he may. Who are you, they ask him. He tells them plain as any, I am David's father and I am David's son. Simple as that. They take it as a riddle, but this is Jesus the Redeemer's whole life, this enigma. I am David's father, I am the God who made this whole thing, and I come back as David's son as a vulnerable child put in a manger to show in weakness the heart of God's love for God's people. And plain as day, he bade us love, asked and answered love. What does that mean, to love? I'm still trying to figure it out. But this is what I learn as I go. Whatever you think it means, You only come to know it by trying it out. That means taking risks. That means making yourself vulnerable. That means going where you sometimes wonder if you should go or not. It means setting safety aside and your own security, your own reputation, how you are seen by others. You go to others in vulnerability. 
and you become close with them and you find that you hurt them whether you want them to be hurt or not. And you find that the words you are reaching for more often than not, if you are truly in love, are, I'm sorry. I'm sorry again and again. I'm sorry. And I forgive you again and again for the same stupid thing that you've done for the millionth time to the same person that you've hurt yet again. And there is no other way except this way of love. To go back to vulnerability, to be open like a book waiting to be read by others, bringing no agenda except with others to find out something more of who you are and who the God of grace is who made us and is pouring out his life and ours in the costly business of redeeming us. Amen.